Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. All right. Welcome to episode 79 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. We are here with Ari Mizels. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for you to be here. Guys, this is going to be a rocking episode. Get yourself ready. So Ari Mizel is a self-described overwhelmologist. So guys, you know I make up my own words. So does Ari. We're going to be having a blast today. Um, he is the founder of Less Doing. I just love everything about this. He has <laughs> entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support so that they can find focus, flexibility, and freedom, three Fs, in their business. The methodology enables founders to become replaceable so they can scale their business. Guys, are you drooling yet? Those of you who are bigger, and again, those of you who aren't big yet, just remember that this is here. Learn it now so you don't get to the place where you're overwhelmed. Um, and those of you who are here, myself included, we're going to be listening all ears. So Less Doing is built on nine guiding principles described in detail in his latest book, The Replaceable Founder. Love the title. It has a comprehensive attack on overwhelm that offers guidance in three fundamental areas, communicate effectively, inbox zero, asynchronous communication, and the six levels of delegation to manage projects. Um, and then a whole bunch more things. So Ari is also a graduate of the Wharton School of Business, an Iron Man, and a devoted husband to Anna and father to four children, Ben, Sebastian, Lucas, and Chloe. Ha, huh, that's a mouthful and a life full, Ari. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on all the time. I, 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 uh, I have a constant ability to uh, expose myself to stress in order to figure out a way not to be stressed. <laughs> I, I definitely hear that. And, you know, I can so relate, and I'm sure so many of my clients can relate to this concept of opportunity and excess of bandwidth. And again, we call it first world problems, but they're still problems. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everybody hits it at different stages in their business. You know, sometimes it's just a solopreneur who suddenly takes off and they're like, whoa, more clients than I have hours. What just happened? You know, and sometimes it's a, a, an entrepreneur who's scaling. He's like, wow, I just hired six people and we're still not, you know, catching our tails. <laughs> and so, you know, I've had clients, like I don't personally um, track my email anymore. Sorry, I didn't say that out loud on the air. Um, but I know people who are running, you know, multiple seven-figure profit businesses who are in the office till 2 a.m. still going through their emails. And uh, so excited to bring your wisdom out to everyone. So before we dive in, I want to hear all about the journey. I want you to just like tease us with a little tidbit on this inbox zero, because I know email is this like massive weight that so many people carry. Um, can you give us like a little hint what anyone can use to get their inbox zero going on? Yeah, well, so the first thing to understand though is that email, the email problem is not an email problem. It's a decision-making problem. Uh, mm -hmm. And most people are just not particularly good at making decisions or they just don't have a framework or a system within which to do it. And email just happens to be an amazing example where you're presented with the opportunity to make like thousands of decisions in a given day. So the, uh, but if you get it under control, the inbox and email to me are the, like the greatest productivity tool ever created. So the very first thing that everybody should do is they should create a filter if they're using Gmail or a rule in Outlook. It says that any email that has the word unsubscribe in it skips the inbox and goes into a folder which you'll call optional 
Now you can check that once a week, once a month, never if you want. You're not deleting it because there might be that newsletter that you love to read, but you're not having the typical inbox, which is like Facebook, Groupon, super important email, super important email, uh, you know, Twitter update, BuzzFeed, super important email. Our brain just can't. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love that. You should just know, so I have a system I teach called email triage. And one of the first things we do also is we like filter out all the junk, um, but I never did it like this. I'm totally <laughs> borrowing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you on it. That's genius. Thank you. Done kind of custom filters, you know, kind of like we always take people through first, like unsubscribe from all the absolute garbage and then filter out all the other things. But this is so a much better step one, honestly, like first do this, then do my thing. Yeah, that's yeah, sure. Because then, you know, you don't really actually have to unsubscribe as much in this case, because you're not going to necessarily see them. Um, You're not going to notice them. Yeah, well, the point is, if you go into the optional folder, you're now like in optional mode, and you can go through those emails a lot faster, because now it's like Facebook, Facebook, Groupon, Groupon, oh, that one newsletter that I like to read, I'll pull that out. Um, But you're not missing anything that's essential. You have to separate the essential from the optional. Totally. And I do this um, by using like the Gmail category feature, but sometimes even with categories, important stuff filters into the category space, which is why I like this idea so much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like depending on another system to decide what I think is important. Nice. My kind of guy. Take control of that inbox. Okay. That was an awesome teaser. All right. Now we're going to backtrack. How did you get here? Where did you come from? Uh, so I, I, I grew up uh, here in New York, actually, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania to, to school. And when I got out, I started working in construction in this big real estate development project that I was running. And after three years, I was 23 years old. I was $3 million in personal debt. And, Ooh, okay. And, um, had, uh, and got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Oh, my gosh. So, Crohn's, for those who don't know, is a chronic inflammatory condition. It affects the digestive tract, and it's, it's very, very painful, and it's considered to be incurable. And so I got really, really sick. And long story short, I went through a process of self-experimentation and self-tracking and was able to overcome the illness and ended up doing a TED Talk on it or a TEDx Talk. And a big part of it was managing the stress. And to do that, I had to come up with a system because you can tell somebody like, eat this food, don't eat this food, take this pill, do this exercise, and they can either do it or not. But if you say to somebody, you know, manage your stress, that's a lot more nebulous. So I had to come up with a system. And that's originally where less doing came from, was less doing more living. I wanted to help people optimize, automate, outsource everything that they uh, did in their lives in order to be more effective. And I was presented with this extreme restriction. I went from working these 18 hour days in construction to barely being able to do an hour a day. Wow. Now you ask somebody who works a nine to five job, you say to them, what would you do if you had to leave the office by four? Most people say they'd skip lunch. But if you ask that that same person, what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? It requires such a different kind of thinking. And quite honestly, a kind of thinking that didn't exist when I created this to come up with not only what, can't you do at that point? But if the things that you can't do still need to get done, who or what is going to do them for you? And so over the the years, that's grown and grown from a personal productivity system into a business one, which we call the replaceable founder. Now I work, I've worked with hundreds of companies in pretty much every industry imaginable to help make the founder and everybody else in the organization as replaceable as possible. Super cool. Okay. So there's a big gap between Three million debt, Crohn's, personal productivity, and superstar helping a bunch of companies. What happened in between? 
<laughs> are you still running your own businesses other than this? Sounds like you're more of like a coach consultant now. Do you have other businesses you're in or is this the business? So I still have some real estate uh, interests, but um, this, this is the business. But at the same time, I'm, I'm staying true to my message and I'm in the process right now of getting myself down to probably eight hours a month that I'll be spending on the company. Amazing. What do you do the rest of your time? I have four children. Um, Fair enough. I'm very busy with, but I'm also uh, in the process of becoming a paramedic. Cool. Yeah. So like, I'm an EMT already. I've been an EMT for about six years and it's something I just love doing and it's very fulfilling and I'm going to take it to the next level and be a paramedic and actually gasp if you will, but I'm going to get a job. <laughs> How come? Well, you can't be a paramedic as a hobby, you know? So if you want to do you the work- You can be it as a volunteer. You can be it as a volunteer, of course, but it's still not the same thing. Because uh, I want to <laughs> do it. For, I want to do it for the New York Fire Department. Got it. Oh my gosh, that is so much fun. I love this. Okay, so between construction and the current business entity of, what do we call it? Doing less? Less, yeah, uh, less doing. Less doing, sorry, even cooler. Um, were there other business entities where you practiced this system and honed it? Um, of my own? No, no. Um, this is something that I, I sort of tried and tested on, well, my own business, the one business, and then uh, on the number of people, the various companies that I've worked with. Got it. Um, very cool. So your original business was construction, I guess, sounds like real estate development. And yeah. uh, so you did that for how long? So you continued doing it after you had, you were diagnosed, you figured out how to kind of pare your time down and you continued doing it with like your one hour a day. Yeah. So what happened was I, I did this project. I finished the project basically. And it was kind of amazing. I mean, I finished it right around the same time I met my wife now. And, uh, we started dating, which is also a terrible time to get diagnosed with a chronic illness. Oh my gosh. And um, I got into, at the time, this was um, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, I started to work in green building construction, so, which is very common now, but at the time it wasn't. And so I became a lead accredited professional and I was always really into material science and things like that. So I actually invented a green building material at the time and wrote my first book is called lead materials and it's about 180 really really cool sustainable building products um, so that was my formal life and actually now that i sorry I, to answer your last question i did apply a lot of these methodologies to that company which was uh called lead pro I, somehow i forgot about that i've had i've had um uh i guess seven companies now so <laughs> it's hard to keep track sometimes and so that was, I was focused on that primarily. And that's where I started doing a lot of the actually automation and outsourcing because it was a very surprisingly inefficient and very paper intensive process to build a green building at the time. Amazing. So what is this map? Tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Like you told us that you did it and what you did. Now tell me a little bit about how you did it. Like what was the breakdown? So you sat down, you're like, okay, I got an hour a day, 18 hours worth of work to do. Now what? So I basically what happened was, so I mean, I got into that situation with my illness and I started to get better. And it took me about five or six months to get off of my meds. I was taking about 16 pills a day. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And so I did that. I got off the meds and, and I went into my, actually my EMT training program at the same time, because I was trying to learn everything I could about the body. And like, I wanted to just, I was basically being like a voracious learner. And in that program I met a guy named Jonathan who became friends with me we became friends and he had done triathlons before and he's like hey man you know you should do a triathlon I was like ah, I don't think I can like there's no way I'm so weak and I was really I mean 
even when I was starting to get better, I was still pretty weak. And so he convinced me to do this one in Long Island and I trained for that for a couple months and then we did it. And I felt great and I was, I was starting to get in really good shape and really healthy and I started teaching uh, classes at my wife's yoga studio because she owned a yoga studio. I was teaching cardio classes and a friend of mine came to a class and he brought somebody who had just completed Ironman and we talked afterwards and he was like, oh, you, you know, everything about doing Ironman. I was like, no way, no interest at all whatsoever. And I literally like, I said goodbye to everybody. I walked into my office and there was an email from my friend Jonathan and he's like, Ironman France next June, are you in? And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you're like, well, if you're going to hit me on all sides. Yeah. So um, I've heard of Iron Man, but I'm not even personally clear what it is. I know it's like a very tough um, oh, race yeah. of some sort. Yeah. So it's um, a <clears throat> 2.4 mile swim, 100 and 112 mile bike ride, and <sighs> then a marathon. Oh, no big deal. Just, you know, just, just that. Yeah, one of um, one of my my clients and friends, Peter Sage, he did the marathon de Saab. If you hear his story about that, it's just like I've had Peter on the podcast. Okay, yeah. So um, Peter, I was just um, the timing of the episode will be off, but I was just speaking at Peter's SBS um, very recently. <laughs> A lot of when this goes out. No. So yeah, um, wow, that is super intense. Super intense. Okay, got it. So, well, so, so I spent a year and a half training for that. And while huh. I was doing that, that's when I really started to experiment with all this stuff because I, I got it to a point where I was spending like four and a half hours a day on a bike, you know, and, and um, had nothing but time in, in the opposite sense, really, to think about this stuff. And I was still, I hadn't sold any of the units from that real estate development, which I eventually did, but that was starting to happen at this time too. So I was still running that business. And so it was just, that was just these massive restrictions. That's when I started getting into outsourcing and starting to automate things and just finding ways to get these things done without my time. Good. So let's detail it because this is something I talk about so much. You know, it's not about how, it's about who. And you can't scale without that. And so many people get stuck. Someone actually asked me recently because um, actually one of the guys I met out in Krakow at SBS, um, he came to me and he was like, I gave a presentation on social media and he's like, oh my gosh, I never knew any of this. And I said it to, to one of my clients who's at a smaller scale in her business. And she's like, but Esty, if he didn't know it, how'd he grow his eight figure company? And I feel like so many small entrepreneurs and, and like, you know, in, in a micro business and, and that is my specialty, but when you're just a solopreneur, you've got one, two people, and especially like, you know, my specialty service-based businesses, it's all about you and it's your expertise and it's your ability to do everything. And you never scale that way. He doesn't have to know social media. He's got to know enough about it to hire the right people, make sure they're doing the right job, right. you know, but it's not about how, when you scale, it's about who, who can do this, you know, and I sit now and, and whenever we get overwhelmed, I'm like, all right. I must have gotten stuck in how again. I'm trying to figure out how to do this and it's not, I don't need to do that. I just need to figure out who's going to do it. And it's not going to be me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, that's the, the only thing I would say about that is that my whole methodology is called optimize, automate, outsource. So outsourcing is the last step. I do an enormous amount of outsourcing. I am a power user of outsourcing, but it is the last step. If we outsource something that is completely inefficient, then we're not really doing ourselves any favors. Oh, for sure. Sorry. I forgot the given that I'm like a hyper-organized, insane person. By the time I've gotten to the point of like, I can't do this, it's been like as refined as it could possibly. Like, you know, Jamie Masters? Yes, I do. 
eventual millionaire. So she's also yeah. like an optimization oh, systems yeah. expert. So she interviewed me on her show and I was like really excited. She's going to give me all these like tips and techniques to be more efficient. And she's like, SD, there's nothing for you to do. Like you're as efficient as you could possibly be. Now we need to make you more effective. Or you're just going to stop doing things. Um, so yeah, no, sorry. That's a given. And that's really, really important. We don't outsource things that are messy. We don't just look for people to save us like, oh no, I can't do this. Someone else should. No, it's a matter of like, you know, hundred percent. So optimize, automate, outsource. So this is the process. So you sit, you've got something to do. You've got 18 hours worth of work and a one hour day. So your first thing is optimize it. Yes. So optimizing for me is really about identification and tracking to some extent, like, because a lot of the, a lot of the overwhelm that people experience, a lot of that feeling of stress is because they don't know what's causing the overwhelm. And while that sounds very circular, it's the idea of like your head's underwater, right? That people always, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so underwater. I'm putting out fires. They don't ever take the time to actually look at why that's happening. Um, so somebody who just says, oh, I'm so busy. If you really drill down into it, they probably can't tell you what they're busy with. Um, and it, you know, I, I actually, I recently talked to a friend, uh, well, a husband, a, a friend's husband who works in finance and a very specific part of, or like a very specific industry. And I said to him, I was like, what do you actually do all day? And I was trying, I was asking it like in a nice way. I was like, I really am curious, like, what do you actually spend all your time on? And he said that most of his time is spent on reading and building PowerPoint decks. I was like, there's no way that you're spending 14 hours a day doing that. That's just not possible. Uh, and if you are, then you should learn how to speed read and you should be outsourcing your PowerPoint. I mean, like it just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, and that's just how my brain works. Like when I, when I hear those kinds of things, it doesn't make sense. When I go to Ikea and see how they have the worst uh, efficient inefficiencies in the entire planet, it's impossible for me not to see those things. No, no, no. Okay. Talk to me about Ikea inefficiencies. We're going to, we're going to chase this squirrel. What? <laughs> I well, I'll t I will tell you, but my point is that like everywhere I go, I just I see inefficiencies, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, IKEA is, um, I think they have one of the worst examples of customer service, and uh, because they basically don't have it, that's kind of the point, right? Like you do everything yourself. But it's bad enough when you go to a bank and there's six like teller spots and there's only one open and there's like a line of 20 people at Ikea, they have 40 cash registers and I've never seen more than three open at a given time. Um, plus there's a bad attitude with a lot of their employees. And I, I mean, I don't mean to necessarily pick on Ikea because I like their products, <laughs> even though you draw blood every time you buy an Ikea product. Yeah. Uh, but I love Ikea. So like, that's why I had to chase this squirrel because I'm obsessed with their efficiencies in terms of how their products are made, products, and how yes. they're packaged and the whole system and process in there is so efficient. That's why when you're telling me, like, so it sounds like it, they didn't, and, and I've never paid attention to the in-store experience so much. Have you um, ever returned something there? Maybe once and it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Returning was a nightmare. There's getting their stuff was really not such a big deal. Um, getting it home, like all that stuff was not awful, but yeah, I think I once did a return and was like, all right, I don't even think I ever want to return everything yet. Not worth it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me started about airlines. I just, it's like, it, it's like I have x-ray vision for stuff when I go. It's, it's, it's sometimes annoying. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. No air, airlines is, oh my gosh. Yeah. We could talk about that for a long time. Okay, cool. Got it. So identifying and tracking. So step number one is like kind of what are you spending your time on? What yeah, and what do your processes look like? Right. Okay, cool. Um, and then automate, my favorite word of all words. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if we try to outsource something that can be automated, we're kind of like in effect dehumanizing somebody um, and we don't need to do that. There's things that we can automate now that a week ago a person had to do and with artificial intelligence and machine learning, like there's so many things that we can automate. Uh, and automation is great because it's cheaper, it runs all the time, all those things that we all know about. But to me, the best thing about automation is that we reduce errors. So if you, if it, you just set it and forget it, you know that it's gonna work. And the reduction of errors to me, not only is a great thing in itself, but it's incredible peace of mind. And do you also do QA? Um, like, so by us, I also am a huge automation fan. I actually took a staff position this past January that I was having trouble hiring for. And I'm like, you know what? I bet I could automate most of this. We automated 85% of it with a $25 tool and then just in-source the other 15% and just got rid of the position altogether and it went amazing. Um, but I find that you still need a certain human oversight. Yeah, so sometimes you need oversight um, and a lot of times there's gonna be things that are left over after the automation that a human being does need to do. That's that 15%. Yeah. Now the oversight one, I also still try to avoid having a person involved in that. I like to, I'd rather build in redundancies to the system because humans make errors. They do. And especially the thing is, it's sort of a, a paradox because the more efficient and on point your processes get, the more boring they become to a human. Yes. And the more boring they become to you, which is, no. um, I talk about um, EBS, which you probably suffer from as well, because most entrepreneurs do. And the thing about EBS is that it's incurable, a little bit like Crohn's, but, um, um, but it is manageable. So EBS is entrepreneurial boredom syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. And it happens as soon as you get your business kind of stable and you get these automations, you get these processes in your systems. If you're like a real inborn entrepreneur, you're like, okay, I've done this. I've been here. Now what? <laughs> like I'm bored, <laughs> you know? And it's always when it's like just stable and you're like, you gotta be a crazy person to take something. I, I laugh with my assistants all the time because we built our company as a consulting firm and we got it like super stable. And then I was like, you know, I think we should go do online group coaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, I asked you build something, get it working really well and then go overhaul the whole thing. Why not? <laughs> yeah, so I, I built a virtual assistant company up over the course of two years and then left uh, to my partner, last or uh, two Octobers ago. Yeah, because it gets boring because you're like, I figured this out. I did it. It's good. Yeah, move on. Exactly. Yeah, I have things and that's do. just the fun of the game. And I think when you recognize, you know, what you what you're dealing with, then you know how to play it. You can manage yeah. your right. Um okay, cool. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this.